I'm Carrie, for those of you who don't know, but I'm happy to be here tonight. So Tim is on a month-long retreat. Uh, how glad are we to imagine Tim on retreat for a month? I feel, feel glad that he's able to do that. Um, and Tuari's teaching at Cloud Mountain. So uh, I will offer some reflections tonight in keeping with the themes that they've been exploring. And we'll also have a chance for uh, some more discussion tonight as well. There's a teacher uh, by the name of Shyla Catherine, some of you might know, in Northern California. And she recommends this practice of greeting everybody you come across internally, whether you like them, don't like them, don't know them, um, just internally acknowledging, uh, hello, my friend, my companion in aging, sickness, and death. So at the beginning of talks, occasionally now, kind of do that internally. Uh, hello, my companions in aging, sickness, and death. Right? Um, so it's in our nature to search for refuge the topic is refuge tonight and many of you know how many of you uh, were here last week when Twery spoke about refuge just curious many okay great And how many people have uh, come for any of the talks so far this year also on refuge? Yeah, great. Okay, so you know what we're up to, these teachings of the threes. And three is a very stable number. It has a lot of significance, but it's also very stable and steady. So a tripod has three legs, right? It's firmly supported. Um, to take out one of them would uh, dismantle the whole structure. So uh, we're looking at something in which you can't really separate Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. They're they're mutually reinforcing. Um, Tonight I want to talk primarily about taking refuge in the Dhamma or the Dharma, the truth of the way things actually are. Um, But you can't talk about that without without also talking about how we take refuge in awareness. So it's our awareness of the present moment's experience that allows uh, a shift in view. <clears throat> that allows it to become a true, a true refuge. Um, so the Buddha was sort of a, a master at taking practices that were very common at the time that everyone recognized and kind of turning them a little bit, right? to communicate something slightly different, to point to something slightly different. So there was a practice at the time for people to 
um, go for refuge by kind of declaring their allegiance or their loyalty either to um, a Brahmin, a kind of godly priest, um, in exchange for some kind of promise of protection, right? So I'll give you my allegiance and support in exchange for some kind of protection uh, from danger. Um, but the Buddha was pointing to, uh, he was kind of turning this on its head. So instead of refuge, the practice, the gesture of taking refuge being uh, kind of a plea for some sort of outer protection to rescue us from unpleasantness. He actually pointed us right back to uh, an internal refuge. So a refuge that is accessible uh, right here, right now, but that um, was also in inside. So the outer expression of the Buddha's teachings So sometimes dharma is talked about as the Buddha's teachings, what he laid out as a path of practice or particular practices. Um, So we're not meant to kind of revere these words, um, but to really ingest them and realize them into something uh, living and accessible, vibrant within us here and now. Right. So Twery talked, I know, last week about the limitations of our kind of false refuge. Right. So um, I, I know many of you have probably been practicing with this this week, but these are the places that we habitually go to for comfort or reprieve or um, just to take the edge off, right? It's fairly intense in this world. Yes. Um, so the refuges, some, some teachers talk about them as false refuges, but they're not, there is some payoff or some benefit to the places we go. Um, so I was thinking about this, Earlier, And if we have to know, uh, most of us can recognize where do you go for a little bit of safety, comfort. Um, You may just check your browsing history and that would probably tell you where do you go for for some kind of refuge. So these things aren't bad, right? But they're limited. So the first step might be to recognize where is it that we usually turn and uh, what is the limit of that? There's usually some payoff. There's a little bit of comfort, relief, but there's also um, a limit. We, we know on some level that um, the show ends, right? Or... Uh, the food loses its numbing effect, right? Whatever it is that we're choosing, that we're turning towards, doesn't have the capacity to 
uh, provide that lasting safety. And we know this intellectually, right? But it's very helpful to um, recognize the limits of what we go to habitually um, and uh, uh, how it doesn't deliver everything that it kind of promises. There's a momentary reprieve, but it's not supportive of our long-term well-being. Um, so recognizing the limits of the things that we, in a very human, natural way, go to. And then uh, coming out of that, what does it mean to take true refuge, right? To find a refuge that is more lasting, more uh, regenerative, um, more helpful. So um, in this taking refuge in the Dhamma, um, Tanasaro Bhikkhu talks about three levels to this and different ways of encapsulating this, but I thought I could just briefly touch on, on these three. And the first is refuge in listening to the Dhamma. So this is just hearing the teachings. So we're translating the word Dhamma. There are so many translations of that word. So it can be the historical teachings of the Buddha. It can be the way. It's also translated as truth. Um, also, uh, a translation I quite like is nature. So the nature of uh, the present moment's experience. So a true refuge is one that will bring us closer to that, uh, that present moment's experience. So how is the present moment a refuge? A lot of times it seems extremely dangerous, sometimes appalling. Um, how is the present moment a refuge? Again, it's uh, awareness of the present moment is the refuge, the Buddha knowing the Dhamma. Um, but Tanisaro talks about three levels of this. So listening to the Dhamma, or the teachings, this is hearing the words. The second is practicing it. So actually putting it into practice. Um, this is kind of in the river of our life, in the changing conditions, um, applying it, right? Seeing where we get stuck. And then uh, realizing it, embodying it. So these are the three, listening, practicing, and embodying or realizing. Ajahn Chah said, first you hear the Dhamma, you listen, you understand the teachings, Then you practice the teachings, you practice the Dhamma, then you become the Dhamma. 
And so I don't want to underestimate the power. You know, sometimes when you offer three things, it feels like a linear sequence. First I listen, then I practice, then poof, <laughs> I awaken. Uh, but we're doing these three all the time. We have moments where we're listening, receptive. I know uh, early in my practice and still now, sometimes I feel like just a sponge, just soaking, soaking in uh, the teachings. Uh, then we, uh, we try um, to implement them, to put them into practice. So it goes from the level of concept into how do we live this out? How do we relate to the present moment in a way that is uh, skillful, helpful, and then becoming, becoming it? So we're always in some way doing all three um, so this, this, uh, refuge, the three refuges are also talked about as gems or jewels. So that's something very, um, valuable, right? Something precious. Um, also something very strong. Uh, so it's helpful. I think especially when we're listening to the Dharma, the Dharma, that we have a, a, a sense of um, its value. Maybe, we, maybe that's immediately obvious, but maybe uh, it's not always. But a sense that there's something valuable, something worth listening to. Right? I know when I first started listening to talks, um, this was... Um, over 20 years ago now, and I had um, cassette tapes. So I would fill my backpack filled with cassette tapes. And I had a Walkman with huge earphones. And many people might not even know what that is. But I would just um, go tape after tape after tape, listening to uh, talks and teachings. And uh, in some ways, this was Dharma binging, right? Maybe you can relate. It's easier to do that now. Um, back then, you actually had to load load things and change the tape. And um, but there's this there's this way that we listen, right? We listen, and so when we're listening to a talk, um, you can even practice doing it right now. Uh, the mind is in an incredibly receptive, it can be in a very receptive state. It's open. At the very least, perhaps our usual commentary or the neuroscientists are talking about it as a default mode network. So when we're not directly engaged in a task. This is kind of what we, what we churn about. So when we're listening, we're not uh, churning with our own thoughts. So it took me quite a while to realize that it was not only the teachings that I was receiving, but that in some ways I was not listening to my own neurosis in those moments that I was listening to talks for a little while, right? Um, 
that for a moment, it was another channel coming in, not turning in my own neurosis. So these days, um, we can be listening a lot of the time to, to the Dharma. And it's like having somebody whisper in your ear. Right? Anybody listened to a talk this week? Yeah. yeah. So if we're listening on our own, it's like having somebody whisper, whisper in your ear. It's very intimate. Um, so every time we do this, you know, people, sometimes they can't sleep at night. They'll turn on a talk. First thing in the morning, they'll turn on a talk. Going for a walk, turn on a talk. Um, but ideally, this is reminding us what we already know, right? It's touching some deep uh, remembering of something that we already know, maybe can't access all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when we listen, when we read, um, if we can remember that that act of, of tuning into a more receptive mind, and then uh, rather than just having it block out our present moment's experience, if we can notice the qualities that come forth when we're listening from our own minds, then we can start to kind of make this practice our own. What qualities come forth? When we listen, when we read. It's tempting at this um, listening piece to start to conclude that the wisdom is only out there. It's only with the teacher or it's only in the talk. But um, it can become a very dynamic process becoming open, receptive, and then noticing what comes forward in our own, in our own experience. Right? We don't want to permanently outsource our own wisdom. Okay, so in the end, it's not about uh, the words, right? It's where the words point. So there's a beautiful teaching uh, in the in the suttas, uh, Buddha says, simply talking a lot doesn't maintain the Dhamma. Whoever, although she's heard next to nothing, sees the Dhamma with her body, is not heedless of Dhamma. She maintains the Dhamma. So if we use the talks as a guide back to our own, a call, just like the chant, back to our own present moment's experience, um, then we don't as much need to kind of binge in order to block out our, uh, our own minds, although it can be helpful for a time. Um, we can take it as an active noticing. So the second part is really practicing. And I know Tori talked a bit about this 
Because every time we surrender our habitual move in favor for the present, in favor of the present moment, the reality of the present moment, uh, that is putting the teachings into practice. That is making it alive in us. So one of the first um, Dharma books I ever opened was one of Charlotte Joko Beck's books. She's a wonderful Zen teacher who's passed away. And the first line on the first page of that book, um, everyday Zen, something like that. But first line of the first page is, we are like whirlpools in the river of life. We are like whirlpools in the river of life. So she goes on to use this um, analogy of how um, in the course of our life, as we develop particular habit patterns, preferences, ways of kind of fending off intensity, It's like we start to enter a little whirlpool or an eddy that is still part of the river, but it's uh, the very activity of it is um, circular and it's kind of cut off from the true power and capacity of the river. It collects all sorts of um, debris and it can become stagnant and it's easy to forget that it is also part of the river. So every time we practice, we're usually in some ways identifying with some kind of vortex, some kind of movement of mind that we've taken to be um, a way of coping with intensity, a way of managing experience. And the answer is not to kind of double down on our, on our tendencies, um, but to kind of let go of that, that motion and start to get more of a sense of um, kind of the nature of the river changing, dynamic, fluid, and not ours, not in any way under our ownership. So that's rather than um, trying to apply a concept, it's entering like a living stream in each moment. So it's helpful just to get a a kind of a little concrete about this. So what I've noticed in my own practice, my own life lately, intensity around intensity and challenge. um, That on the one hand, so I've had several family members in the last few months um, be given really difficult medical diagnoses. And because I've done a lot, a lot of my livelihood has been as a caregiver. Um, this is kind of my 
mode. (laughs) I know this. I know this one. So when these come up, I notice uh, such a quick slide into managing experience. Handling experience by managing it. So anyone notice this? A tendency to kind of manage experience. So I'm researching uh, everything I can about the diagnoses. I'm forwarding things about therapies (laughs) uh, and things that might be helpful. I'm checking in repeatedly. Um, immediately the movement of the vortex is towards managing experience. And so we can do this in so many ways, the ways we get efficient, relying on our, uh, on our problem solving capacity, all of that. We can feel that movement. So a couple of months ago, my mom had to sit me down she was like, she sat me down in the stairwell in my house. She said, Carrie, I know you have a lot of skill and experience in this area. She said, but I'm 81 years old. <laughs> it's like, I appreciate your concern. Um, but basically, back off. <laughs> um, so uh, my response to her was... Um, I learned it from the best, right? I inherited this, uh, this gene, this caregiving managing gene. Um, anyway, we are able to laugh about it, which is really helpful. Um, but when we stop with that frenzy of activity, what we're left often is uh, usually some form of shaky vulnerability. And so holding that in something wider, right? So you can rest back in an awareness of that. We can touch into the tendrils of what that's actually like. Um, But a true refuge will lead us closer and closer back to kind of that shaky vulnerability that is at the core of our humanness, but also towards something that is uh, unshakable, boundless, open. Uh, So both of it leads in both of those directions. Talk a little bit more about that in a moment. So you don't take refuge in the particular manifestations of the moment how it's arising. You take refuge in your capacity to know it and meet it. The Buddha knowing the Dhamma. So on the one hand, maybe we fall into the managing, get swept into the managing. On the other hand, we might develop a stance in which we feel at the mercy of experience. Things are coming at me. I'm being bombarded. I'm being carried downstream. 
right? So in these circumstances, um, we tend to kind of withdraw, draw back. Um, my nine-year-old son has a hamster. I thought about this a lot during COVID, but just watching the amazing efficacy with which this hamster would burrow to create this little cocoon of safety in the layers of bedding, right? almost like this little pocket of warmth and uh, safety. Right? So when we feel at the mercy of experience, maybe those times where we don't feel like we can manage it, um, maybe we notice ourselves uh, in some ways retreating, withdrawing, or burrowing. So again, not to judge or uh, condemn this or go into self-blame around this because this is more of the um, vortex of activity. It's just to see, oh, this little nest that I've made for myself. Um, is comfortable, but in some ways when I need to emerge from it, I feel weaker. I feel actually more cut off from my resources. Going into social situations after COVID, had the privilege of being able to kind of isolate quite a lot. And then going into, I remember the first birthday party that I went to, my son was invited to, I had to go sit in the car for <laughs> like minutes at a time um, because, you know, so used to our little, our little nest that um, uh, that can actually cut us off from our natural resources. Okay. So maybe we have managing on the one side and uh, being at the mercy feeling like we have to hide or withdraw or burrow on the other side. So it's important just to know how do we react to intensity? What are, what are some of our, what are some of our moves? And what is it in that, that we're most avoiding an experience of a direct experience of? So coming out of that cocoon or that flurry of efficient managing feels awkward, right? So it doesn't immediately feel like a refuge. It feels awkward and uh, maybe uncertain, um, but there can be a tremendous um, sense of safety in knowing that we're not going around in circles, that we're not contributing to our own vortex, right? We're choosing a new path. Um, So my son's at the point where he is, um, I can just see their like identities forming (laughs) <laughs> and conclude, starting to conclude about who they are, right? So he's 
so you just get to learn, you know, those of you who are parents or who are with kids uh, in stages of their development, you can just see, okay, so that's how that starts taking hold. Um, whenever he's doing something that he's not good at, that he doesn't uh, like because he feels like, awkward or incompetent or just can't do it, he'll conclude, uh, oh, that's just not my thing, or I'm just not that kind of person, right? So he came back from PE the other day and just said, um, I'm just not a jump roper. So I shared this with under 40 the other night, um, the young adult group. Um, he said, I'm just, I'm just realized I'm just not a jump roper. Right. Um, so identity, right. So we get, uh, you know, drawn in to where maybe those places where we feel like we have more capacity and this is who I am. I'm this manager experience I'm this competent person over here over here where I feel vulnerable and awkward I am not that I am this or maybe we identify with the deficient awkward (laughs) burrower over here I am this I am not that right but the the dhamma moment to moment is this lived uh uh, again, fluid river of changing experience. It can only be experienced moment by moment. It can only be known. Right? So feeling that balance between uh, like we're um, somehow going to be separate from it. We're going to find an identity that's separate and not touched um, or being completely uh, drug downstream right okay so this leads us in the direction of freedom um, and maybe you can feel that so the first taste of listening to the dhamma maybe we feel relief maybe we feel a spark of possibility maybe we feel like someone's pointing the way home right? the second part of refuge will probably feel awkward, raw, vulnerable, a bit uncomfortable, Um, but we will have the trust in our growing capacity to meet that as it is. Guy Armstrong talks about this as taking refuge in reality. This is this is uh, right, the truth of the present moment's experience, and then in the third aspect, perhaps we can sense a bit of freedom or awakening, coming out of the trance or the swirl um, into new possibilities. So there's tremendous vitality in that right? when we're when we're in allowing that river fully all right so i'll just mention this briefly and then i want to leave plenty of time for discussion but a, an image that's been very helpful so some of you may have heard me talk about this um 
This is a Dutch neuroscientist who was mentioned in um, Michael Pollan's book of how to change your mind. Um, his name is Mendel Kalin, this neuroscientist. And he offers this view of the brain as a ski slope, right? Like a big hill um, that many people have gone down. And so there are all of these tracks or grooves that um, it, they're very easy to slip into. So these are our habitual conditioned programs, right? And we can feel the momentum of them, the speed of them, and how uh, easy it is. So this is, these are the paths of least resistance. Um, And they'll feel normal. They'll feel natural. They'll feel like us because we've retraced them over and over and over again. And so all of our momentum is going towards those same ski slopes. And as we're going down that familiar slope, this is who I am. This is how the world looks. This is how it is, right? But it has that feeling of fixity of the known. Um, And so what practices like meditation do, um, where, where all of these teachings point is to something akin to a reset or a new snowfall in the mind, right? Which those tracks are there. Um, we can still fall into them, but there is um, an open field of possibility, right? And uh, perhaps the sense sometimes that it is possible to go in uh, any direction, right? There's a flexibility um, and uh, an openness to that. So this is where we are not separate from life, right? We are not separate from life. And so at this um, point, um, or when we get these glimpses of freedom, I think it's important, just like we become kind of investigators of the vortex of self, we can also become investigators of that open slope, when those places where we have greater freedom of response and movement It's not going to always feel great. We're not taking refuge in a state or a mood. But in those moments where there isn't any separation, it's like nature moving inside, nature moving outside. Okay, I want to end with one um, quote. I didn't uh, print this off. I just have it here. This is from Zenju Earthland Manuel, wonderful teacher in the Zen tradition. 
this describes this process. We go along, uh, this book, by the way, is called Sanctuary. And she talks about home, homelessness, and belonging. So a lot about refuge from different angles. We go along living our lives. There's a rumbling, and the winds blow us somewhere we've never been before. We might be fearful of the new territory of freedom, but in the end, even the delusions that arise fade, and true meditation surfaces naturally. There's no wanting, hoping, or even thinking of life as a grand journey. It is one breath after another, one gift after another. Being a spiritual warrior is not an adventure your friends will praise you for. Sitting for a million hours is not a feat to boast of. It is a treacherous adventure of staying sane, going crazy, and wandering in the stillness, naked and hungry, until you have found your own way home. In the end, we go absolutely nowhere, and it is exactly where we thought we'd be. We die unprepared, unimproved, yet raw and precious. Let me just sit for a moment. Thanks everybody for your attention and your practice. Um, I'd like to give a bit of time for you to speak to each other. Okay, so we'll, so those in the room offer you a question or a prompt and those um, at home, um, Ken has graciously agreed to um, help divide people into breakout rooms. So um, I would really encourage you. So 
many of us avoid these discussions like the like the plague, um, and we can feel all of our shackles of resistance start coming up. Okay? But um, I encourage you, if that's your response, to to just stay, see what's possible. Okay, so uh, let's take um, we'll just take a pause. Um, but the question that I'd like you to consider, so those in the room, but also at home. Um, so if you'd like to speak to uh, one refuge that feels, um, Tori talked about them as limited. Yeah? So what's one place in which there's some intensity or challenge that you find yourself going uh, towards a refuge that you know is limited, temporary relief, but not long-term well-being. Right? So these are not uh, these are not sins. <laughs> it's just where do we go? Um, so see if you can speak a little bit about this, and what would it be like to uh, turn towards the present. What support would you need to turn towards the present moment's experience? In those moments. So it's really helpful for us to, because it's very easy conceptually, right? So, um, but if we imagine ourselves in that moment and we imagine ourselves, what would it be like to choose something different, right? To really take refuge in uh, awareness meeting experience in that moment. What what would that, um, what support would you need? What would that look like? What can you envision that looking like? So anywhere you want to go with that is great. Um, So I'll uh, oh, thank you. Ken actually paraphrased that. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so, Ken, maybe uh, groups of three, so everyone gets a chance to speak, right? And uh, most importantly, when you start, um, don't start from your churning mind. Start by just resting back for a moment. Just Resting for a moment, awareness, meeting, experience, and speak from there. It's not a performance. You don't have to get anything right. You can just um, notice what it's like to speak. Uh, speak from that authenticity. Okay? So in the room, if you're willing, uh, I'll ring the bell in about 10 minutes, okay? And then... Uh, Ken, able to do groups of three for 10 minutes, be great. So it looks like everyone's back. Those who didn't bolt are back. (laughs) Well done. Um, Anybody have any comments or anything you'd like to share about how that was? So don't share specifics, please, of what other people shared, but maybe your own experience, what it was like reflecting on that. You noticed. 
Anybody notice anything new just in the act of speaking and listening? Anything new about your refuge, what you were reflecting on? Anything new come out of that? You don't have to share specifics. I'm just kind of wondering more generally. Anybody notice? Um, I just... uh... I think it's one of these things that kind of clarified how the path is um, stepping away from distraction and toward simply seeing or being aware, just sort of, it's like one or the other. So it got, I mean, I like the exercise and, and looking at the part of, you know, my little, but my, my, uh, my gearhead mind <laughs> and, and then how that's so limited and just, the, the expansiveness of of cultivating awareness, so mm. kind of that one or the other. It's kind mm. of how I clarified. Mm. Yeah, Alan, nice to see you. Um, thanks, Carrie. Yeah, there's um, and I, I I think you addressed it in your talk. I'm not sure precisely, but there's a certain you know when you're talking about um. You know, don't when you don't plan what you're going to say and you just kind of, you know, engage in it, so to say, there's it, it it's disorienting or it can be um, it can be quite disorienting, um, but it also can be quite lovely disorienting. And, um, yeah. Uh, so just kind of noticing that. I think it's one of the beauties of the discussion periods, actually, because hopefully there's a feeling that maybe we're a little bit safer in Sangha. Everybody's practicing and holding a shared intention. Um, So hopefully there's a little bit more room to experiment or comfort with walking through that, that awkwardness. But uh it i i like the phrase lovely disorienting <laughs> because there's a sense of there's some freedom in that right so it's not a kind of um anything goes kind of a thing we keep our sensitivity we we can kind of feel that what we do and say has reverberations Right. But when we let go of managing our experience so tightly, um, and just stepping forward anyway, right, with that kind of openness, it's often what comes forward as surprising in the, it can be a lovely way. Yeah. Something new comes forward. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed Lauren. I guess you had. Oh, yes, it's there. It's right underneath this little grip. Yeah. Carrie, I think I'm saying the same thing that Alan said. It was that your instructions at the beginning, I was kind of planning, okay, what am I going to say? I'm going to, you know, <laughs> and then you said to rest back and you gave those instructions. And I thought, 
I'm not, you know, I'm just going to see what comes up. So that was really nice for me. And I, it was different than what I had originally thought. I, I got to think of something, you know, that works with this. So it's really the same thing that Alan was saying. So I, I appreciate the instructions. Great. All right, everyone. I think we'll leave it there for now. There are a few announcements tonight, and I want to give just a few minutes to close. Um, so uh, one of the wonderful parts of these few months is that you get to hear a lot of different voices, right, reflecting on these themes. So on Monday nights, but also on Sunday mornings and under 40 on the second and fourth Wednesdays for people who are more or less <laughs> under 40, we're pretty loose. Um, we'll, we'll be diving into uh, the, the refuges for January, February, March. So in, especially in these foundational teachings, but maybe in all of them, uh, repetition is a good thing. You know? <laughs> so in some ways, it might be, well, I've heard this. Um, this these are things we can't uh, in some ways get enough of. So if we can practice um, that translating the, the concepts again and again into the lived experience, the lived reality. Okay. Um, all the teachings, as most of you know, are offered freely. Right. All the teachers uh, offer their teachings freely, but also were widely supported by volunteers. So just wanted to offer my appreciation for all of the volunteers, Beth and Ken and May and uh, many of the others, Cheryl, all who helped coordinate to make tonight happen. As most of you know, this hybrid thing, it's a thing. Right? <laughs> There's a lot that goes into it. So um, just wanted to really appreciate, appreciate that. Um, if you feel inspired, moved to offer Donna to help support SIMS as an organization and or to help support my livelihood, um, it's never expected, but it's always appreciated if you feel um, inspired and able to do that with ease and joy, then it is warmly, warmly appreciated. So I think everyone probably knows um, that there's a page on the website, a donate page, can just put it up as well. So there's an opportunity there if you'd like to support Sims or support my teaching. Okay, why don't we close together just for a quick moment? And then uh, there's some announcements tonight also. So don't need to change your posture if you don't like. But just taking a minute again to drop back in. And in whatever way feels natural for you, 
Just frame the intention that the benefits of our practice be shared. That they be offered. So whatever bits of clarity, inspiration, connection, warmth, support may come about from our practice together silently and listening and speaking. May that be for our own benefit, but also may it benefit all those we come in contact with. May each of us and all beings be well in body and mind. May each of us and all beings be free of confusion and fear. May each of us and all beings take care of ourselves and each other with ease. And may we each move in the direction of greater wisdom, compassion, and freedom in our own unique way. Good to, good to be with you. Good night. Be well. Good.